going on, y'all? Welcome back for a new episode of Full Court Press presented by the Craft Factory. It's me, Pierre Riley, and we got a special guest in the building. One half of the Osa and Abe show. We have Osahan in the building. Yo. How you doing, man? Yo, I'm feeling good. I'm. Uh, it's been a while since I've yes. been with y'all. I feel like The Rock right now. At last, The Rock <laughs> has come back <laughs> to full court press. It has been a while. Riley, how are you, sir? I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah. Osahan, it is funny because this is the first one I know I've been on that you've been on. You know what I mean? It's, uh... Actually, it is the second we did an episode, yeah. I think it was back in January. Yeah. I remember it because you and I went off about the WNBA and the disrespect oh, yeah. that people totally right. gave yeah. to it. All right, January. It's like two years ago right now. So, it, Dude, we've been it's <laughs> it's a so year a month at this point. A year a month. That's what 2020's been. Yeah, Man, right? It's been like it should be April good, right but it's been all bad. <laughs> Shout out to Matt as well. Can't wait to have you back. Well, fellas. Before we start, we uh, we had a pretty long week um, coming off the boycott strike, whatever you want to call it. We had some unfortunate deaths take place. Um, Lou Olson, the great coach from Arizona. We had Cliff Robinson, one of Portland's, uh, you know, I can't really describe what he was to Portland because he just was like, yeah, he did everything for Portland. You know, came off the bench, played defense. He was dropping threes. And then we also had Chadwick Bozeman. Uh, very, very shocking to hear about that. Yeah. Oh, and last but not least, John Thompson. Yeah, heavy, heavy week in losses as far as basketball. Very heavy week. In general. Um, yeah, I guess uh, really quick, just we'll get Chadwick Bozeman here. Yeah, that's that. just shout out to that guy for having to deal with stage four colon cancer for four years in the dark. Yeah. Uh, that's to understand that kind of stuff he was putting out at that time is insane. Uh, and I, I've, I've known somebody very close to me that had stage four colon cancer for five mm-hmm. years. And they, uh, they told me day one, she, she took me aside as my best friend's mother. She took me aside and she said, I have a 13% chance to live over, uh, five years. Um, wow. but she did, she made, she lasted five years and two months, uh, mm-hmm. fought her ass off. And it was, you know, definitely just like Chadwick does people, when it comes to that disease, people only survive that long because they have right. an insane amount of willpower and will to live and love for the people around them. Uh, and th- that means that you had to have a surplus of that before that even began. So shout out to Chadwick Boseman for all, everything he did um, for the black community, for the film community, for everybody. He was a real inspiration, one of my favorite actors. So, all right, Absolutely. I know also how I know, you know, it's Wakanda for, it's, it's really Wakanda forever now, like, you know, forever, ever, man. Um, I thought it was a hoax when I first heard the yeah. news. Um, I thought it was just another joke because at that point, let's see, I was Friday night. Lou Olson had already come out that entire week. Actually, I was already in a mind frame. I think a lot of us were still kind of rehashing the emotions of Kobe's passing. And yeah. then, boom, out of nowhere, the Black Panther himself. So in the same year, we lose the Black Mamba and the Black Panther. Yeah, yeah, man. Absolutely. Like just, yeah, man. just a heavy hit. Um, I'll for I almost remember uh, Chadwick Boseman for uh, playing Jackie Robinson. Like that was that was a, a great, great film, and I mean, it, it shed new light on the Jackie Robinson story. And I think what it did was it took Jackie Robinson's story from more than just something we talk about every baseball season or Black History Month and made it something a, a part of our regular conversation in the sports 
world. So shout out to him for that. Uh, but looking at the the basketball greats that passed, you know, Lou Olson, Hall of Fame coach, John Thompson, Hall of Fame coach, and actually the man who uh, basically saved Allen Iverson's life, number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, paved the way for a lot of the black coaches that we see today. So seeing him gone, like that was, the wind was already out the sails. That, that put a hole, I think, in the bottom of the ship. And then Clifford Robinson, folks may say, well, who's Clifford Robinson? And kids these days, right. one of those kids these days just won't know, won't know. Yeah, man. Clifford Robinson was, he, he was the truth. He was a sixth man's sixth man. Won the award once. Definitely Cabal gave the Lakers some some problems, gave my Lakers some problems uh, when he was on the Blazers. But Clifford Robinson, uh, definitely, he's one of those guys, kids today, if you're hearing about him dying and you're thinking, well, what's the big deal? Go do your homework. Go do your homework on and this honestly, dude. And really uh, see, he was the truth. And honestly, see, with Clifford Robinson, I actually have a personal th- uh, story with him. He, um, I work in the marijuana industry up, at, up here in Washington, and he was a big advocate uh, for the legalization of marijuana um, in the state of Oregon um, and for recreational. He was one of the first NBA players to invest in that as a pain relief um, to try to move away from the uh, from opioids. And uh, I, I was at a conference one time trying to help a, a friend of mine with his uh, little startup and stuff. And, um, I, you know, I had this pitch I learned that morning. They just had me because I'm, I'm decent at selling things. So they had me come on that day. I didn't know. I barely knew what I was talking about, but I knew he was going to be there. And he walked by and he had some people, he had, you know, not an entourage. We had people that were trying to usher him around for sure. Um, you know, he's by far, he's first of all, the tallest person in, the, in this whole convention, but also he's uh, uh, just very important to the industry. And he walked by, I said, what up to him, told him I was a fan. And I just, I asked him, I was like, would you mind hearing my pitch? Which I was shaky on as is, you know, and I gave it to him. <laughs> uh, I gave it to him and it was cool because he not only was very intensive and, and really heard me out, um, he ask questions you know along the way it's not he was not just letting me talk he really wanted to know about the product and want to know what was going on at one point even someone tried to basically put his their hand on his back and go hey we got to go and he was like hold on hold on you know and uh, and he let me get a picture and stuff and he said the, he said the he said he was going to look into the company and stuff you know he, he gave me the time he could have easily been uh, a lot colder than that um especially for a guy that obviously didn't know 100 percent what he was even trying to sell um and yeah so he was a really good he was a really nice guy i always carry that with me because that was a very uh when I heard he passed, especially after hearing Lou Olson had passed, Chadwick Boseman had passed, that was a tough one. The next morning, I saw that, and that was a, a real bummer for sure. So shout out to him as well, because man, uh, yeah, just a lot man, of tough. It was it was just crazy, man, because it was Lou Olson Thursday, and then I remember sitting with my family Friday, and then when I heard about Chadwick, I was like, wow. So I came in the house and I said, Chadwick Boseman died. They leave lying. I said, no, really. I had to go search whatever I could to convince them and to have them believe me. And then literally Saturday morning, it wasn't even, what, it was every bit of 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and Clifford Robinson. And then Sunday, as if we wasn't already grieving, it was just John Thompson. It was just mad. So, and, and John Thompson was the, first, uh, was the first blackhead coach that won a national title, yeah? Yeah, and it's like that's it's like what Chris Webber was saying, and also I'm sure you can uh, back me up on this as, and Riley as well. Chris Webber was basically saying that because of John Thompson, you thought Georgetown was a HBCU just because of all the, you know, the gear that they had and everybody wanting to attend the games or just attend the college alone. That's how powerful John Thompson was to Georgetown. 
Oof. No, that's that's true. That's facts. Uh, he he had that place rocking, and quiet is kept. He he's the reason why. Uh, you look at guys like Patrick Ewing. Uh, I wish we had Brian on here because Brian he, he tell the story better than me. But Patrick Ewing, a Cambridge kid, had no intention of going to a place like Georgetown, but ends up there because of someone like John Thompson. Think of someone like Allen Iverson from Virginia. You know the hood in Virginia, and ends up at a place like Georgetown. Uh, he really revolutionized uh and was a trailblazer for uh black players and for a space like the big east he took the big east back the big east wasn't georgetown's conference but john thompson took it back um so yeah seeing what he did over there and then also just just looking at as well the uh like i said the, the the coaches that he's blazed a trail for uh even his son like his son's is uh his son is a coach now and seeing him continually give back to the sports world, just a gentle giant and definitely will be missed. I wanted a Georgetown Hoyas uh, snapback as a kid just because of John Thompson and that towel on his shoulder. Oh, me too. I want I want a Georgetown gear. I had a pair of Georgetown shorts growing up because of uh, – actually, I know one of my best friends did too just because, I, I, you know, Allen Iverson had them. And, yeah, they meant, you know, certain certain shorts, jerseys, and things mean more because of the people that have – help build them up like that. And obviously John Thompson is big in that sense. Lute Olson as well. I mean, don't want to forget him that talk about pack 10, uh, you know, when it was the pack 10, yeah. Olson set the standard for a long time. I'm a UW fan and that dude set the standard for a long time. Even now, even there's still a level of like how the Seahawks would view the 49ers. As far as like, there's a lot of respect there. You know what I mean? You got to no matter how much that you hate that rival, you definitely respect what they did. And you look at the NBA players that came from that, from Lute Olson's, uh, absolutely. We're talking champions. We're talking champions. We're talking great players. Um, and, yeah, and even great coaches now, Steve Kerr and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's great. It's great to see. Uh, it's, it's great to see, like, when people do pass, it's nice to see the – you start to really realize, you put into focus, I guess, exactly the scope of, of all that they did and all that they, and everyone that they touched. So um, shout out to every all those guys that passed, um, all four of those guys. They uh, were great men in their own right, and we hate to see it. And it sucks to have it all those guys pass in one – one week's time but um yeah i hope they're uh, you know they're in a better place now and uh yeah hooping up there for sure well said riley well said now let's talk some hoops guys yeah. the lakers the lakers um sadly for the trailblazers they run ended but also i gotta ask you because you are a laker fan did you like what you did you like how the lakers recovered because you know dating back from that game one they came out it didn't look so good but four games in a row, they were able to basically dominate Portland any way they wanted to, whether it was shooting, defense, uh, inside the paint. They dominated. Had Portland out there like, wow. How, although I, I will give props to Portland, that game, was it game five? Yeah, game five, they fought as long as they could. They just didn't have enough. You know, for them to be playing without Dame, Carmelo had 20, what did he have, 20, 27, I believe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and CJ had what 35, 36? They were so, they, they were going blow for blow with the Lakers for the yeah. better part of three quarters through that game. And mind you, the Blazers only had nine men. They right. were running a nine-man rotation because they were uh depleted due to injuries. And that for me uh was slightly problematic to see. It it reminded me very much of game one and coming into the the playoffs. 
even before the playoffs, I take that back. Before, as the, the conversation around the bubble was starting, uh, Dame Lillard did make the comment. He said, listen, I don't want to sit in no kind of bubble if we're not going to have an opportunity to compete and make it to the playoffs. Because if we can make it to the playoffs, I believe that us, the Blazers, will get hot, make some noise, and maybe knock off some top seeds. And honestly, I think if if the Blazers had stayed healthy, if Dame stays healthy, if they have their full squad, if you don't have a Yusuf Nurkic uh, who is, you know, dealing with emotional loss and on top of that playing, I think it's uh, was third most minutes on the team. Um, it, I think the Lakers could have ended up in a six or seven game series easily easily so I, my concerns watching the lakers and it's been a concern for me with the lakers all season uh number one is is the the play between lebron and ad specifically how does lebron uh play when he has a mismatch this mm-hmm. man had gary trent jr on him most of the series and truth be told lebron should have been getting easy buckets all series but there are those moments where he liked to fade out on the perimeter as he as he tends to do. And I think that spells trouble the deeper you get into the playoffs. But oh, all in all, looking at the Lakers' performance, to win a title, you need some, a little bit of luck on your side. Let's be honest. People say it, you know, if not for Kyrie and uh, and Kevin Love going down in 2000 and was that 15, the Warriors don't win against the Cavs. Um yeah. It's the same thing here. If Dame doesn't go down, if uh, I think honestly the Lakers are in a six or seven game series, but overall happy to see my guys make it to the next uh, round of things. I really, really hope that the Lakers tie up some of these loose ends because KCP, we can have you shooting under 50% for a series. Uh, who else? Uh, Danny Green. Yeah, Danny Green. You you slumping hard right now. I need you to take. Uh, I need you to go to see go see the the lethal shooter coach and fix your stuff because this is not looking. <laughs> this ain't looking good at all. And okay. AD. Here's the thing as well. Depending on who wins this series, this series we're gonna talk about a little bit later. Oh. AD. If AD ends up with and hear me out, Pierre. I don't think they. That you know your Rockets are a scrub. You know I don't think they're scrubs. Right, right. But if AD is is stuck with a mismatch because we know y'all run small ball, yeah. And he absolutely. and he he does, which is what frustrated me in Game One and a little bit in Game Two, resolving to play the four instead yeah. of dude, just play the five. I don't I, I don't know if it's an issue of you, he doesn't care about winning. But every game where you've where the Lakers have had AD play the five, it's been a totally different looking team. And so if he doesn't resolve to play the five in this in whoever they end up playing next series, especially if it's the Rockets, I might have to be a special guest on this program again just to go off. Uh, well, you look at it this way, and Riley, after this, I'm gonna throw it to you. Lakers already advanced. Let's say they do play Houston. At the five, you have PJ Tucker. And this is what I was alluding to on one of the episodes. Anthony Davis should be down low, banging, you know, banging in the paint. Facts. But he'll have PJ Tucker moving backwards, but then he'll turn around and shoot a jump shot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Now, when you play OKC, you're going to be matched up with Steven Adams because they're going to throw Steven Adams at you. They're not going to put Steven Adams on JaVale McGee. Like, they're just not going to do that. You're going to have to, Steven Adams is going to, you know, he's going to bang back at you. So he definitely has to figure it out. And Riley, that's what, you know, we noticed a lot during this season, this this uh, 
series with Portland. To me, he shot too many jump shots, Anthony Davis. And when it's falling, it's falling. You know, the the move he was I think he made one beautiful move where he he like he he did a he posted up, he did like a spin around step back, and it was it was beautiful. But he's gonna need more than that to to you know, like you said, at the five, you gotta punish your, your opponent. Not for sure. I, I think that the Lakers' biggest issue, as good as they are, is everyone on that team needs to play how they know they need to play. Like they 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 have to pl- like play their games. The fact that AD is trying to be out on the perimeter and trying to you know not be in the uh, um, you know and he's not trying to attack the paint you know and get some turnarounds and stuff. Go get, go to the basket, get fouled. In fact, LeBron is when I see him on Gary Trent. I mean that's that no matter who Gary Trent is, that's a bad. That's a bad defender. Like I, I mean, compared to who LeBron James is and the and the bodies we're dealing with in comparison, that's an easy call. So he Bobby really needs chicken. to figure that out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he needs to figure that out. I mean, obviously the shooters need to shoot. Danny Green, all those guys, they need to be able to shoot and hit shots for them. But LeBron and AD have to kind of you know snap out of it a little bit, look in a mirror, and understand who they are, and uh, know what they're good at, and know how they can dominate. Um, I mean, they're both great players, and they got by Portland pretty much playing their secondary roles as far as like what they're capable of. So uh, yeah, I really hope they can figure that out. Um, Cause uh, yeah, the Lakers should, should be in the finals. They, you know what I mean? They, they should get there or they, at least in the Eastern conference finals, like this, this next series coming up, um, you know, again, they're going to have, no matter who it is, they're going to have a, uh, a running start because they have a lot of rest right now. And, uh, yeah. and the other teams have gone through a grueling seven game series where they've been battling. So whoever advances to them is already gonna be, you know, just like Portland was. They're already, you know, a little battle, uh, battle fatigue. So, yeah, we'll see how it plays out because we are, uh, yeah. If they play how they played in, in this in this first round, then they could. They're at least gonna get pushed to seven, if not beaten. Definitely, man. And, and you alluded to it perfectly. Rest comes down to, you know, it's very it's very important. The Lakers are gonna be well rested. Whereas to my Rockets or the Thunder, you know, you play a game seven and then you have to turn around and play again this, you know, for is it Friday or maybe yeah, Saturday? They get one day's rest. So, yeah, the Lakers will be able to. You know, I mean, and sometimes rest is a bad thing. I mean, you mm-hmm. you know, you, you get um, rusty on the court and all that, so shots don't fall. But I don't think the Lakers will have that problem. Also, I just want to ask you before we move on to a, the next series. Do you think the Lakers will turn it up another notch? Because Rondo has been practicing, and Frank Vogel already said that there's a chance he he will be available. Maybe not game one, maybe not game two, but maybe a game three or something. Do you think they could turn it up another notch? I think potentially they can. What is interesting to note about the Lakers is when you look at the uh you look at their team, it's a totally different look when LeBron is not the primary ball handler coming out of the backcourt. Yes, LeBron led the league in assist in his, his year 17. Of course, everyone's writing that narrative, right? However, if you, I, I always go back to his game. I think it was game two or three of the season. They were playing the Jazz and they were getting spanked. I, the Lakers were getting spanked by the Jazz. And the Lakers made an adjustment because I think Rondo was injured, but they made an adjustment and coming out of halftime, 
had Alex Caruso play point guard. Up until that point, LeBron had been playing point guard in that game. Had Alex Caruso play point guard, just be the primary ball handler. Now, plus minus wise, I think the Lakers ended up being like plus 15 with Caruso on the court that game. Now, Caruso didn't have like phenomenal numbers. It's not like he put up a triple-double or anything. But what he did, though, was alleviated the need for LeBron to be coming up and down the court, uh, handling the ball. LeBron was able to play down on the low post and the high post and direct traffic from there. And so it took that pressure off of him. And also, like I mentioned earlier, AD moved to the five in that point during the second half of that game. I think having Rondo be the primary ball handler, getting the ball out of LeBron's hands, coming out of the backcourt, enables the Lakers to set up their offense in a more efficient manner. Having AD bang down on the block, I think enables uh, the Lakers to be more productive and more dangerous. Because think about it. If you have AD on the low block and LeBron on the high block, who are you going to double? You double either one of those, the shooters are for sure open. Instead of LeBron yo-yoing the ball at the top of the, of the key and hoping to draw a double team as he drives, uh, it gives a, a greater diversity to the Lakers' uh, style of play and their offensive uh, gameplay. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the fact that LeBron is always on ball, I mean, there are other ways he can, he can contribute, you know? Like, he can do pretty much anything he needs to do. So if you get him on some screens or just let him run a pick and roll once in a while where he's able to give it up in a good place for AD, that'd be great. You know, instead of the pick and pop, pick and roll, you know, like they need to attack. Those two guys going to the rim, no one can stop them. It's in, it, They are too big, too strong, um, it, too athletic. It, so you have to be able to do what you do well and understand that if you need to do something else, then you can do it. It's good to have those, those, th- those tricks in your pocket, but – yeah, they have to just stick to what they what they're good at, and if they do that, they are a great team. Um, obviously, the shooters need to shoot. I'm still waiting for Jr. and Dion to really get some run. I think at some point it's going to have to happen. I think at some point we saw it uh, in, when they played Portland. I was ready for it because they couldn't score. They didn't have guys that could shoot, and they didn't have anybody that was getting any sort of uh, creative buckets outside of uh, LeBron and AD. So I needed to see I need to see those guys come in at some point. I think that they will be big in one of these series coming up. At some point, they will matter. And, uh, and I think they'll hit some big shots because both those guys have chips on their shoulders. JR wants to prove that, you know, he's, that he's, you know, what happened last time he played with Braun is a fluke, you know, and, and you know, he, he can put up, uh, he can put up good minutes and be a contributor. And then you have, uh, Dion who just has so much, he's trying to, he, the biggest chip on his shoulder possible. So yeah, they got to do it. I'm, I'm I got to ask you guys it. this question real quick though. Um, not to distract though, but. What piece, and I know, I think it's been discussed on this program before, but what do the Blazers need to do to get to the next level? First and foremost, you need to get rid of Hassan Whiteside. Oh, talk about it. He was so out of place that game five. He literally did not. It's like he didn't try to do anything. You know, he fouled. He holds his hand like you're fouling for one. Now, what I will say, he's a great shot blocker. That. I won't take from him. But you need something else. You got Zach Collins. You got Nurkic back. If you're going to keep Melo, cool. But you also need wing depth. Rodney Hood, losing Rodney Hood was big for them. Losing the reason was big for them. They had nobody. Like you said, they couldn't do anything. They were throwing Trent at LeBron, and thankfully, LeBron was shying away from that matchup. But for them, they, they CJ Dane, we know what we're getting with them. But if you're going to keep Nurkic, which I hope they do, 
him and Whiteside just don't work together. They were starting them together, and they really didn't have a choice because, like I said, Zach Collins was out. But Whiteside definitely has to go. Don't bring him back at all. Use that money for wing depth, whether it's a 3 and D, whether it's a stretch four, something. Yeah, I think that uh, when it comes to the Blazers, I think that their move, I think they, they have to blow something up. Not... I don't want to say that because I like I like Dame and I like CJ together. I think that they work well, but at the same time, it's rare that they both go off at the same time. It's like only one of them can go off in a game, basically. Uh, even if things are going well, it's so rare that they both pop off for thirty plus. You know, well, even though they're both capable of that every night, and they need at least one of them to do that every night. Uh, so I really hope, uh, and I think yeah, I agree, Pierre. I think Whiteside's got to go. Um, I think you love what he brings potentially, especially in the playoffs, but he just he doesn't have the right attitude. Everything, everything. If he's he gets in early foul trouble all the time, and if he does get in foul trouble, he puts his head down when he does come back in because he's not getting the minutes he wants. It, you can just see it on his face. He's just not. He's not a guy because this is a team that's trying to advance in the playoffs, and he's the kind of guy who doesn't have the mindset to understand the sacrifices it takes to do that. Uh, so yeah, I'm not a big fan of him. I love Nurkic a lot, but they just need somebody that can compliment him better, and he and he honestly needs to get in better shape. Um, he was, you know, I know he was he was playing a lot of minutes. He's working really, really hard, but he was gassed every fourth quarter. He was gassed out, um, and he still played well in some of those fourth quarters. But he was gassed, and everybody knew it, and they attacked him. Um, so yeah, I think at some point you might have to move CJ and some pieces to try to bring th- something back. I think bringing Melo back, there's no issue with that. He wants to be there. Uh, we we saw that he can still contribute. When if you have a Rodney Hood too, you can switch him out here and there if he's recovered. Um, you know, so you, you know, you can add that youth and, you know, not have Melo out there playing, you know, 30, 35 minutes, but yeah, I think, I think they have to blow something up a little bit. There has to be something that they do to make this all work out because it's, we've seen over and over again that they're getting there, but then it's not enough. So at a certain point, you know, you have to, you have to understand that just getting to the playoffs is not enough. Also, how, what you think? As much as I hate to say it, and I love watching them together, probably one of the most exciting backcourt guard duos that i've watched the least in my lifetime and just for excitement factor and pure scoring i love watching uh dame and cj together i mean you look at C- arguably those two individually are probably i'd say probably top at least top 10 one-on-one iso players in the game you look at cj's bag that man's bag is deep he can score at all three levels easy we know dame logo lillard all of that but to Riley's point, they they don't necessarily go off together. I look at this game's uh, five against the Lakers. CJ goes off for 36 and Melo goes off for 27. Mm-hmm. Th- there's something to be said there. So one of them, I think, has to go and they invest, whether they keep Melo or they bring in a, another three um, via a trade. I think a, another solid wing to play co-star next to either Dame or CJ, I think is going to be valuable. I do like uh, moving Hassan Whiteside. He is a shell of himself. Well, actually, no, I take that back. Hassan Whiteside has never really had a motor. He, yeah, you can get, he's, he's a double-double machine. He's a, he's a rim protector, but the knock on him has always been he's never really had that motor. So get him out of there, and either you you bump up Zach Collins' minutes. Because th- think about it, though. If this dude, Hassan Whiteside, has a motor, these dudes are untouchable. Right. Yeah. Nurkic and him together, that's a, that is a scary Twin Towers duo. That's what the Nuggets wanted Nurkic and Jokic to be, but they couldn't, mm-hmm. they couldn't coexist. So, if, so get this dude Whiteside out of there. I, I'm just going to say this right now. If for some reason 
Miami ends up shopping Bam out of bio. I could see Bam in Portland wreaking wow. havoc with Nurkic. I, it would be fun to see. Yeah, because then you can play Bam at the four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. could work. It, also, it would Bam, be fun Bam, to see. We talked about it previously. The Bam is also his most underrated thing about his game is that he's a really good creator. He's a really yes. good passer. So yeah, I mean, you know, you get him, you know, Nurkic on the block, running around. You have him on the high post. Or, you know, or even on the wing or whatever, just you know, making, using his eyes, making good plays. I mean, that's, yeah, Bam is going to be for me one of the most sought after uh, guys this offseason. Uh, you know, if I would at this point, the way I'm looking at Miami, and we'll get to this for sure, is that I think that Jimmy Butler and Pat Riley obviously kind of have a plan at this point. It seems like, and I, I think Jimmy Butler looks Pat Riley in the eyes and says, "Don't trade Bam, don't trade Hero, don't trade Robinson." You know what I mean, like. Those are my guys. Do not, this is the team we're running with, and we'll see too. Because if they if they can bring it to the Bucks, then we'll see. You know, but I, I think that Bam in Portland would be awesome. I think that'd be so much fun to watch. I think uh, him and Damon play well together. He would fit. He would fit with everybody. Bam's the kind of guy you can play with almost anybody. The issue with Nurkic and Whiteside was that Nurkic uh, is it Whiteside didn't have the motor to keep up with Nurkic and whatnot. They just didn't coexist well um, when when it came to Jokic and Nurkic. They're just too similar. So it was tough to play those guys together. You know, they really want to do exactly the same things. With Bam and Nurkic, they want to do very different th- Different. Th- they can all do the same things, but they're comfortable uh, doing different things. And I think that's the most key thing. They're the most versatile uh, combination that we can think of. So, yeah, I would love to see that. Um, I think they need to try to get away from Collins. He's he's hurt too much. I love his potential, but I think he'll be a part of any trade for like that CJ's involved with. Uh, because he's a, he's a young, talented former first-round pick, I think that he will – be included in that and i would be okay with that if i'm portland uh, as much as, as as cool as he is but yeah portland needs to make some serious moves or they will you know they're just going to continue to be to be uh just good enough as opposed to being the best i just hope bam doesn't go to the boston celtics <laughs> yeah i can think of somebody who would uh never ever let us uh forget the, that he's there. right he's uh, already happy right now they're up 2-0 so, you know, if they get Bam, he's going to be even happier. He will be editing this uh, podcast. So, hello, Abe. And uh, <laughs> God bless you. God bless you, my brother. Uh, yeah, just I hope uh, hope that you never have Bam on your team. And I mean that with the uh, utmost love. Well, guys, now that we've already mentioned the Celtics, they're up 2-0. This is crazy. Toronto looks lost. Um, Siakam doesn't look. Like the Siakam we saw in a regular season? Yeah, shout out to uh, Sean Lowry, who's been saying for a minute that Kawhi not being there is a much bigger factor than people were. Oh, definitely. And even I said, I was like, you know, in the regular season, I was like, oh, they look okay as long as Siakam can hold up. It's like as long as Siakam can step into that role fully, uh, you know, and be that guy that's unafraid to take the big shots and the big moment, then it's fine. But we're seeing so far that he's not ready to do that. Um, and so, yeah, they are they are looking pretty lost for sure. Mostly, it's that Boston just looks ready to go. I mean, if you have got if you have Marcus Smart popping off from three, um, Kemba's doing his thing. Uh, you know, they're they're a well oiled machine right now, um, and they're a team. I, I, we've talked a lot about it. That I've I've been I'm always critical of the Celtics. Usually, you know, especially uh, coming into the season, I was very critical. Uh, Tatum has blown me away. Um, Brown's blown me away, way beyond my expectation. Uh, yeah, so they are they are a fine finally world machine, and they could sweep these Raptors. From what I've seen so far, they could sweep these cats, and it would not be uh, 
it would not be surprising from, uh, from based on what we've seen so far. Yo, this definitely could be a sweep. And also, I don't know, <laughs> Abe wouldn't let you live it down over there on the Austin <laughs> Abe show. So, um, hopefully it's not a sweep. Not like that, Abe, but hopefully it's not a sweep. I hope it's just not. Your, I hope it's just not. So, you know, just so your day runs better, because I know, you know, it's going <laughs> to, every every five minutes, it's going to be sweep, sweep, you know. But He's going to have a know, burnout. It's going to be bad. Right. Right, exactly. But in all seriousness, the, the Celtics do look really good. And I I thought with Hayward being going down, I thought they would kind of take a step back and I thought it would like show signs of you know them cracking, but no. And Marcus Smart has been stepping up. Tatum, Kimba Walker, they all look really good. Jalen Brown. If they sweep the Raptors, oh my goodness. This this will be crazy. But I, I have them winning the series maybe four two. Maybe even four one, but Toronto just doesn't look like the Toronto we saw, like you said in the regular season. Even when they had Kawhi, like they definitely need Kawhi. Yeah, I, also I see too, it being. Oh, go ahead, Riley. I was just really quick, just gonna say that uh, Hayward going down. You never want to see anybody go down, but I think that they play a lot better when he's not on the floor. I think because of the money he makes and the stature that he has, I think that if he's healthy, he's gonna play. And also his connection with Brad Stevens, obviously, but. I think that, uh, yeah, I think when he's not on the floor, he they're a lot more productive, honestly. And uh, I think that uh, if if he has to be down, that they will they will just keep playing better. So, yeah. So go ahead, Osan for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I still. No, you're good. I still believe that uh, Gordon Hayward should not have left the Jazz. I, I still remember watching what series was it when the Jazz played the Clippers in 2000 and ooh, I'm gonna say 15. Is it 15? 16. 16. And, I mean, that Jazz team, you had Gordon Hayward, Iso, Joe Johnson, uh, Joe Ingles, Rudy Gobert, but they were giving the Clippers problems, real problems. They ended up beating them in that series. I think it was in six games. Um, I ended up watching, I think it was game four. I was at the Staples Center. Uh, and I was, me and my friends were rooting for the Jazz in a you know a, a arena full of Clippers fans. By the end of the game, because the whole game, I kept chanting, here goes Iso Joe. By the end of the game, the Clipper fans around me were like, who is this dude Iso Joe and why is he killing us right now? Okay? <laughs> but when I seen Gordon Hayward leave the next season to uh, to Boston, I, it just didn't sit right with me. And then you look at that horrific injury he had first game of the season. And he hasn't really bounced back. And the problem has been, I've, like you know, you reference Riley because of the money, because of the, the contract he has, and because of his connection to Brad Stevens, it's like he's been a, 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 a square peg in the round hole of what the Celtics are. Yeah. And, and no, it's, exactly. it's created that issue there in terms of continuity and their fluidity of play. And it, that's why they look so much better with him off the court. Don't get me wrong. For moments like uh, game two where the Rap the I'm sorry, the Raptors, the Celtics went stagnant for a little bit during the third quarter, Hayward is a reliable bucket. He's still he's as as people forget what Gordon Hayward looked like when he came into the league. He came into the league looking like uh the, the kid who plays in the city league, uh, who has just enough of a jumper, and he transformed into Mr. Steal your steal your girl, and I got I can score at all three levels of the game. Like he's really transformed his game. So he can get a bucket when needs be. Overall though, I I'm not shocked that these uh, leprechauns are trying to make the Raptors go extinct. Uh, <laughs> Kawhi being missing. Hold on. Let me backtrack. The Raptors run in the regular season did, ha, didn't surprise me either. 
because at the end of the day, it comes down to the playoffs. And I there are three players, two players I don't count out when it comes to the playoffs in the in today's NBA. Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James. Kawhi's proven it time and time again. If you just get him to the playoffs, he's gonna he's gonna cash in for you. And that's what he did with the Raptors. LeBron, pretty much the same thing. So the Raptors, uh Cinderella, no. People are saying they are they they were to get to the playoffs. No. Like this this is legitimately a solid team. Siakam, but Siakam is now the man. For the first season in his career, he's the man. There's a learning curve there. Fred Van Fleet is still riding his wave. He's going to do what he's going to do. Kyle Lowry, I've never been a fan. It is what it is. Um, OG Ananobi, people sleep on him, but he had a great season. People forget he was injured last year. Things look very different in the playoffs last season, I think, if OG Ananobi's in there because he is a great all-around wing, not just a 3 and D guy, but he can get his own. Um, Norman Powell, great piece off the bench as well. The Raptors have really solid pieces, but – as with any team that wins a title, you need that one guy who can get you over the hump. I don't care how team-oriented your uh, uh, your team is when it comes to ball movement and they don't have a do- ball-dominant player. You still need that player. We can go all the way back to the uh, those Detroit Pistons teams of the early 2000s. When it all, when it all fell down, you knew that ball was going to be in Chauncey Billups' hands. Yeah. Three point blank. Same thing with with that Raptors team last season. You knew it was going to be in Kawhi's hands. So the Raptors need a guy to be that guy. I don't know who they get. I don't know who Drake is trying to recruit right now to bring over there, you know, general manager Drake. But they need a guy to take them over the hump. Yeah. Because it's going to be a gentleman sweep this series. I definitely agree with that. I think that they – people really overplay the regular season. You know, they they overhype it. It, It's – you can be a well-oiled machine and not have a lot of uh, superstars. You can win a lot of regular season games, but then the playoffs are literally a completely different animal. It is. It comes down, and you don't even need to be really a star, but you have to have that that thing in you. And we saw that in Mitchell and and Murray, which we'll talk about soon. Like those guys, we saw them turn it on. We didn't necessarily know that they had that gear, you know. And now we got to see that. There's certain guys who, uh, you know, who have that in them. Uh, when they, they show up in big games and certain guys don't. And when you look at the Raptors right now, they lost their guy. They could do that. Um, and as we saw last year, Kawhi had to be that guy. And now may, maybe it's that they haven't found that person yet. Maybe that person's on the team and they don't realize it yet. But th- it is something that they need to figure out because I, I think like it's, it's going to be a 4-0, 4-1 series as far as I'm concerned. So they're going to have a lot to think about this offseason. And I think, like you said, I think that Drake's going to have to recruit somebody there. And I, th- I don't think it would be that hard to get somebody to go there. They have a lot of good pieces there. I think that, and especially because Toronto is such a booming market at the moment, I think that you could convince somebody to go there. Um, but yeah, they need to figure that out because that's going to be uh, really, this is going to be a major wake up call. I, I think that everyone in Toronto kind of thought they didn't need Kawhi at the end of the day. Like, oh, we got it, we got it, we got it, which I don't blame them. That's kind of the only option they had uh, to think. But yeah, they're going to have to rethink that a little bit. And shout out to Masai Ujiri. He's a great executive. Uh, I know yes, we joke is. around about about Drake, but Masai has he has a track record that he could lean on and say, "Hey, you should come up here." And he's made it happen. We saw that with the Kawhi deal. We saw it with the team that he has assembled currently, and they just need that last piece to make it happen. He, so shout out to Masai Ujiri. Innocent, definitely. Well, he's he's very great at what he does. Saw that uh that police footage 
the body cam footage, and we know that he didn't assault a police officer after after they won the title, and that uh, he, right. uh, yeah, that was interesting to see. Uh, so that's good to see that he. You know, the whole point, he's like, yeah, I didn't do that, and for some whatever reason, we weren't going to believe him. And uh, now we know that uh, not only is he a great GM, but he is he's a very truthful individual. Um, so yeah, that's also rad. Um, yeah, so obviously the Bucks lost game one. Woo! Oh boy. Now some venison. People, some people, uh, like a Jordan Alexander, perhaps, would tell us that the Bucks are fine and that it is one game, and that's true. We know we've seen comebacks in series before. But it was a startling look at the fact that, again, Jimmy Butler was that guy. Was that Man. guy who, hey, I'm going to go get it. He told his teammates, apparently, at one point, hey, I'm not going to pass. And then he hit a couple buckets, and they were like, all right, cool. And he he went off. I mean, everyone was talking about the fact that he's not a great shooter, and he was pulling up from wherever because he knew it was his time. That's why he came to Miami. That's why he wanted to you know build with this young group is that he wanted to be the guy and when he first went to miami and did that my initial thought was well we'll see how that goes i mean it's i almost thought it was selfish you know because i thought the situation in philly even if it wasn't ideal you you at least had the pieces around to win a to win a title i thought he could be a, a missing link to that um yeah so the fact that uh that he's in miami and backing up exactly everything he said is uh Good on him. Good on him. So yeah, I mean, what do you guys think the Bucks have to do to right this ship? They have to figure out who they want to close first. Because if it's gonna be Giannis, he you know, he needs to close. If it's gonna be Middleton, okay, cool. Middleton was hot the first three quarters. Fourth quarter he just cooled off. And Giannis just looked like he, you know, statistically he had a great game. But in that fourth quarter, he looked like he didn't want to even touch Jimmy Butler. And when he was asked about it, he was like, uh, no, I didn't. Why would you ask me that? You shouldn't want to shy away from moments like that. When it when it's crunch time, you have to shut down that team's best player. And like you said, Riley, Jimmy Butler was on fire. He didn't care. Like, uh, don't ask for the ball. I'm doing this. I got this. So it's going to be interesting to see how they – make adjustments uh, game two when it comes down to defending Miami. I think uh, watching Jimmy Butler come to Miami, this is what I always felt about it. I felt Jimmy Butler came to Miami and this Miami team is what he thought that Minnesota team was going to be. Yeah, Young, hungry dogs ready to get after it. And you look at this, this Miami team, that's what they have is some young, hungry dogs. Uh, Duncan Robinson, I mean, a, a sniper from outside. Uh, Kendrick Nunn's of the world. You got Bam, who people are finally starting to respect and is coming to his own. Kelly Olynyk's still doing his thing. Um, Goran Dragic, I think, is, is the oldest guy on the team, but the Dragon is still doing what he does. So Jimmy is in the right situation. I think what this series might come down to is uh, the Bucks vet, vets. The Bucks have more vets in their, their starting five and just across their lineup. I think that experience might come through. However, I do not trust, and this is might be the only piece of slander you hear me say about the Nigerian freak. Not the Greek freak. He's the Nigerian freak. I don't <laughs> trust him in crunch time just yet. I, I hearken back to the series against the Raptors last season. Supposedly great on-ball defender, great offensive weapon. We, we know this about Giannis. But boy, when the Raptors threw that box and one against them, and when Kawhi 
decided that he was going to put the cuffs on this man. He cuffed up Giannis. And I firmly believe, granted, Giannis is a freight train. He is something we have not ever seen in the history of this league. This man gets to the three-point line and can take one step and be at the rim, right? I still feel like he needs to get a consistent mid-range jumper. And we've we've talked about it before uh, offline, but his mechanics are are clunky right now. But I honestly believe if he takes uh, – we don't they don't have a real offseason coming up this season, but he needs to find a dedicated offseason and just add that into his game. We've seen players do that. Add add just a little, a little tweak here to their game and next level. And I think that's something Giannis is going to need because when it comes down to crunch time, think about it. We all know where Giannis is going. He is going to the rack. And if you throw a wall at this man – He's not going to be able to get through. If you're if you have studied your game tape, you know where to swipe and when. Giannis, if he adds in that little mid mid range jumper, a consistent jumper, it's going to keep defensive defenses honest. And so I could see this series going seven. I think the difference is going to be that battle between Jimmy and Giannis. And I'll put my money on. Oh, it pains me to say it, but I'm going to put it on Jimmy. Jimmy's different. He is different, and people need to stop counting that man out. Yeah, I, I think that when I was talking about this series before it started, my prediction was I think it's going to be Bucks and six, but if it goes seven, it's Miami uh, because of that Ooh. difference in kind of clutch factor. Uh, and that was before game one. So, yeah, I definitely – it was good to see that that was, that was not um, ill-founded on my end to, to assume that Jimmy had that in him. Also, too, you mentioned Dragic. I mean, I feel like all season, as I talked about the Heat, um, and especially when they, when they were since they've been in the bubble, that I've not mentioned Dragic like one time, and he's been such a key piece to what they're doing. Um, yeah, it's nuts. You said Olenek off the bench. Shout out the guy. Uh, you know, I hit a game winner over him in high school uh, JV tournament once upon a time. Uh, you know, we've talked about that previously. So I pretty bang bang owned uh, owned Kelly Olenek for sure um, on the court. But uh, it's good to see my old uh, my old uh, arch nemesis doing real well because yeah i mean he's he's clutch off the bench everybody there is working really 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 hard and you can tell that they're cohesive um you can tell that they know when you know like Dragic, he's getting easy buckets on people and and, and the mm-hmm. bucks are a great defensive team the thing with Giannis and the whole you know are you going to get jimmy and his reaction his reaction is based on him saying like why you know why would you ask that is that because Giannis believes in Budenholzer 100 percent and vice versa Budenholzer plays a major team defense where it's not so much about, you know, one guy guarding whoever it's, it's you're funneling people in, uh, to, to then, you know, deal with the team. You know, it's, it's less about individual matchups. And I think that's what he meant by that. Everyone thought that was just him trying to cop out. I do think that he was referencing the team defense, but at the end of the day, if, if somebody is killing you like Butler was, and obviously the team defense is not working and you're losing game one of a playoff series as the number one seed, yeah, you have to step up. You have to step up, and you have to at least stop him a couple times to get you guys back in a defensive rhythm a little bit. Because um, yeah, that was that was rough to watch. It was I, I wanted to see it so bad because I think Giannis could could stop him. I mean, yeah, it's it was very frustrating. I, I need to see more out of Giannis. Like his stats in the fourth quarter were abysmal. He didn't even try to get established offensively. We saw you know that they struggled defensively, and uh, yeah, and there wasn't a lot of um, there wasn't a lot of um, they weren't taking any of the blame, really. You know, there were. It was definitely just a lot of deflection. So I really hope that they come back, slap themselves in the face a couple of times, come back and understand that this is for real. Jimmy understands it's for real. He understands how serious this is, 
and now Giannis has to too, or you know, I, you know, nobody wants to see the Bucks go out in the second round when they've had such high hopes. Um, but Jimmy's ready to do it. That whole team is ready to send them home. And uh, yeah, I love the Heat right now. I'm hyped on the Heat right now for sure because they are so much fun to watch. And also, Hero, shout out to Tyler Hero, who has no conscience. I, there's few people in the NBA who I've seen have less of a conscience when he shoots. It's it, it is weird. It's like a blind. It's like the blind confidence, you know. Like like all he knows is to shoot. It's not that he's over. It's not that he's not thinking about it. It's just that's just how he operates. You know, he doesn't know any other way except to just randomly pull whenever he thinks he might be open. So, love it. Man, it's definitely gonna be fun. And like Osahan and Riley both said, this could very well go to six or seven. I would love to see Miami knock them off. I really would. But I think Miami has to keep you know just stay consistent and stay the course. Mm-hmm. You know, we know with the Bucks, like you said. They can catch fire. Look at what happened with Orlando. Orlando won that first game, and it was smooth sailing for the Bucks right after. Even though Orlando beat themselves in a couple of those games. However, Miami isn't the Orlando Magic. You know, Bam, Jimmy, Dragic, you got crowd. You know, so this team is well put together, and they very well could knock the Bucks off. It just... Like I said, they had to stay the course. Oh, we did not. Um, props to the Clippers. I forgot. We we forgot to talk about the Clippers. We don't need to give them props. Not one of the two. Clippers, I mean, okay. that was one of those series where it was like, you know, it's, yeah, once, once they were up, like, 3-1, yeah? Was it 3-1? Yeah. Yeah, once they're up 3-1, it was a done deal. Once Porzingis is out, similar with the Blazers. It's, you know, once, once the stars start to go yeah. You know, they're going to fade against a team that strong. But, uh, yeah, so the Clippers, they advance. You know, we'll talk more about them next week, I'm assuming, just because, you know, we haven't seen them play much since then. But shout out to them for sure. Uh, yeah, and that'll be an interesting series to see them play against um, the uh, Denver Nuggets. Nuggets. Now. Denver Nuggets now after coming back down from 3-1. Um, yeah. Crazy duel to see Murray do what they were doing. And something I need to bring up is that when it came to Jamal Murray – uh, you saw his interview, right? After game six, right? Man, what an interview. And, right. And and then to see the, that kind of emotion, right? What what I love about the bubble and what I don't love about the social issues going on, but what I love about what we're seeing is all these interviews they're giving afterwards. Usually we're used to guys being with all the big crowds around and all the normalcy of everything. Everyone's calm. Their adrenaline's down by that time they're doing the interview, even if it's right after their adrenaline's a little down. They're just hands on the hips. Just, Hey, yeah, you know, this, this, and this, you know, like basic answer, this basic answer, this, you know, it, you know, media training here, you know, type stuff. And what we're seeing is because of the, the social pressures and issues that they're dealing with and having to having to face and having to hit head on watching the them, them being in the bubble away from their families locked up in this weird thing. There's no crowd. It's so personal that we're seeing guys play in almost a manic level of intensity to see Murray after that game, to see the intensity that he was, the the adrenaline he still had, the intensity, the emotion behind it. Chris Paul, after their game six win, the emotion, he, I mean, he said some guys are built for it. Some aren't Chris Paul is not saying that in any normal interview. Otherwise, you know, he, he was in they're They're all so riled up and there's so much emotion behind the games right now. And it, because it was, is also obviously the playoffs, we're seeing literally a manic kind of energy, and it's it's really entertaining. But it's also just very interesting to watch because we're we're seeing you know the Jamal Murray and uh, Donovan Mitchell matchup, absolutely insane. These are the these are the stats for their series breakdown. This is, 
Uh, Mitchell had 36.3. Uh, Murray had 31.6 points per game. Field goal percentage. Mitchell had 52.9. Murray had 55. Three point. 51.6 for Mitchell. 53.3 for Murray. Free throw. 94.8. 92. And each of them had a game high of at least 50. Um, hmm. Yeah, they they we saw it. They were their back and forth was outrageous. I saw somebody say for game seven, you know, hey, you know, how about we just let them play one on one and just see how it goes, you know, like <laughs> and, and whoever wins the tennis. Um, yeah, what was your guys' favorite part about watching uh, those two go back and forth? Just the fact that Donovan Mitchell was efficient. You know, we've seen previous series where they, the knack on him was, oh, he didn't show up. He came to play. He brought it. He left everything on that in the bubble, pretty much. You know, because now they have to go home. But he left everything he had, like, and I loved it. Like, if you wasn't a fan of Donovan Mitchell before, you should be now. Jamal Murray as well. Like, I honestly, I'll be the first to admit. I'm like, oh, I don't really see how he's that good. But he showed me some things, and he proved me wrong. And I will be watching the Clipper Nuggets series now. Regardless of if my team wins or not, I still will be watching. Bet. Now, I, was, I was a fan of both guys before the series. Uh, looking at Jamal Murray's numbers, I think it was the last, what was that? Three out of the last four games of the series. So from game three to six, this man put up, I think it was 50, 42, and 53. Like, he was balling out of control. That game uh, six, that man was unconscious. And mind you, did it shooting 71% from the field. Put up a 50-piece shooting 71% from the field. Yeah, also something crazy. I, I mentioned this in the in the group at one point. When I was watching that game, when he was hitting in the fourth, right? And mm-hmm. I saw it again in in uh game seven as well. When Jamal Murray's hitting in the fourth, the when it goes through and the net snap that you're hearing, I it sounds almost unique. It's really smooth. I don't know how else to yeah. describe it. But it yeah. sounds you know, the most net you know, when you see it here a net snap, it seems, you know, it, it just seems very normal but this one sounds smoother it sounds the ball's going through in such a smoother way somehow i don't know how to describe it but yeah it is yeah to watch him turn it on i mean donovan mitchell now owns the record for most threes made in a playoff series and then jamal murray at 33 i think and then uh jamal or uh jamal murray is tied with steph uh it's in second 32 so we saw two guys have one of the most epic three-point duels in a playoff series that we've ever seen and scoring um, duels as well. Yeah, I mean, they absolutely turned it on. And to see the Nuggets come back uh, 3-1, I mean, we were talking about, wow, I mean, you know, they're they're probably out the door. You know what I mean? They, they couldn't get it together. Getting Gary Harris back was huge for them. Massive. Uh, He's a lockdown defender. And Dwayne's been saying that in the group for a minute that, you know, hey, we need Harris back, need Harris back. And then they got him, and he made a huge difference. He was hitting some shots. His defense is, is their best on their team. So mm-hmm. watch mm-hmm. him. Yeah, the way he did helped a ton. It helped slow down anyone not named Mitchell. Um, and yeah, to to watch uh, to watch the Nuggets pull that from behind, and, and most of that being on Murray's shoulders. Um, you know, because Jokic gets all the hype, but yeah, Murray is you know the most important scorer on that team. And yeah, to watch him figure that out uh, in front of us like that was wild. And especially then, like you said, that interview uh, uh, where he you know shout out George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and was uh, you know visibly you know shaking almost you know like when he, when he walked off that whole thing where he had to take a second on his own there yeah uh, the emotion those guys are feeling is just off the charts so yeah to, to see those guys go back and forth was absolutely nuts and I, that was a treat for us as basketball fans 
uh, to watch guys who want it that much. Question to you guys. Uh, yep. What, what did you guys think? Because there's a lot of talk about that last shot in game seven. Um, oh, yep. Oh, about- yeah, Mitchell. I, I, yeah. So I, I was waiting to get to that, too. Go ahead, o. For all of the fireworks that we got from Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, the first six games of the of this series, and then especially in the fourth quarter, they put up going into the fourth quarter, they threw up a graphic of their fourth quarter averages in the series. Jamal Murray was averaging 19.3 points per game in the fourth quarter. Donovan Mitchell, 17. Like those are those are NBA 2K numbers, right? Just crazy. But going into the fourth quarter, their point totals, Jamal Murray had 13 points going into the fourth quarter and Donovan Mitchell had 18 points for the whole game going into the fourth quarter. Hmm. The game high scorer in the game ended up being Jokic, put up 30 and 14. Donovan Mitchell and... uh. Jamal Murray, you could clearly t- see that he, that the opposing teams made the necessary defensive adjustments. Every time I watched Jamal Murray, he was crowded. They uh, Donovan Mitchell had his shorts hiked up and was going in. Mike Conley, the 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 uh, the Jazz wanted to make sure Jamal Murray didn't have any extended time with that ball to get settled and in rhythm. Likewise, though, Gary Harris, like you mentioned, Riley was doing the same thing with Jamal Murray. So the game came down to Jokic, who did technically end up hitting the game-winning shot, as we would find out, the go-ahead bucket. But that last play, there were people who were saying, you know, Donovan Mitchell should have been one the, the one to take it, just to, to rehash it. So uh, Jazz have an inbounds play on the side out with, I think it's 17 mm-hmm. seconds left. Donovan Mitchell gets to the rack, doesn't make the layup. The Nuggets get the ball. They race up court. Jamal Murray dishes it off to, I think, Torrey Craig. He goes up for a layup, misses the layup. (laughs) A clear, open layup that would have sealed it. Now, here's the thing. He could have just dribbled it out and just waited to get fouled. Yeah. But he decides to go for the layup to to shit to make the land, dude. Yeah, just make the land. Make the land. So Rudy Gobert gets the rebound and decides to be a point guard for two seconds too long. Then finally passes it up court to Mike Conley. Mike Conley gets a pretty clear look at a three and misses it. Now, a lot of people are saying because Donovan Mitchell was still on the other end of the court, that Mike Conley should have dished it off to Donovan Mitchell, who had been hot most of the series from three and let him shoot the three. But here's actually the thing that I look to in this that I think threw a wrench in all of that. That initial inbounds play that the Jazz had from the sideline was actually the second inbounds play of that possession for them. They had initially tried to get the ball in and try to run in uh, some off-ball movement to get the ball to Donovan Mitchell. The ball ends up in Royce O'Neal's hands. He gets trapped in the corner and has to call timeout, burning the Jazz's last timeout. If the Jazz still have that timeout, Rudy Gobert gets the rebound on that on that uh, miss layup and can call timeout and is not scrambling. Think about it. As a big man, unless you're a big man like AD who played point guard before you had a crazy freakish growth spurt, you're a guy like Rudy Gobert. And when that ball comes to your hands, your immediate thought is, uh, point guard. Mike Conley wasn't right there. So Rudy Gobert has to figure out, let me take a couple dribbles and find the point guard instead of just bringing down the rebound and just calling timeout and being able to, to drop a play. So I don't blame Conley as much as, or even Gobert as much as I do the fact that they were without a timeout to be able to settle down and drop one last play. Because one thing about Quinn Snyder is that man is a great inbounds play tactician. Great coach all around. Yeah. I, so I mean I can you know I can understand the people that wanted Mitchell to take the shot, but 
you know, Rudy Gobert made what pass he felt was right. You know, Conley, you know, and Conley could have got to the rim. And like you said, Osaha, Conley had a great look. Mitchell, I don't know. Um, I sympathize with him because he had his hands up like I'm open. But, you know, Conley did what he felt was right. And it cost him in the long run, but it was a great series, and I don't take nothing away from the Jazz. Yeah. Uh, Riley, go ahead. I mean, as far as that shot goes, I, I watched it a few times to try to get a vibe of what was going on. And what happened, obviously, like you said, first of all, Osan, the, the, if they have a timeout, it's a totally different a totally different thing. But they right. Gobert gets the ball, and he looks up. And what's, what's he going to do? Is he going to force the – even if he sees Mitchell, which I don't think he did off the bat, if he sees Mitchell – and he throws that up there. You want Rudy Gobert throwing a pass 30 feet up the floor or whatever, 20, 20 feet up the floor uh, to potentially get picked, you know, because there was somebody down there with Mitchell. So if they jump that and he gets a pick, he looked open when the shot was up because his guy had sagged off because the shot was going. It was obviously Conley was going to shoot it. There wasn't enough time. So I think, yeah, Mitchell had his hand up. And I, if Mitchell had just had his hands down, I don't think anybody would be saying anything. But he had, I mean, people are forgetting who Mike Conley is too. Mike Conley right. is, is a veteran. He Facts. was once the highest paid player in the NBA. Facts. Um, so that's a guy who led several Memphis teams in the playoffs, grinded against some of the best point guards in the league, and got the best of some of the best point guards in the league in the playoffs. So I mentioned he's clutch. That shot was wide open. He was he was good to go. He was in rhythm, and it just rimmed out. It's not like he it's not like he aired it like uh like you know like some a point guard from a different team. But don't uh, do that. Don't do that. Uh, but, <laughs> But I mean, yeah, he had an open shot. And he rimmed it out. I mean, any you know, like the percentage of that—that's a 50-50 thing. And he rimmed it out. That if he hits that shot, we're not saying anything about him. And in fact, anyone's going at Gobert or Mike Conley is unfair to the is unfair to the game of basketball. And understanding the rhythm at which they were playing, Gobert made the right play. Yeah, he took one or two extra dribbles, I guess. But at the end of the day, he turns and fires that pass up. They're still getting the same shot because either way, Conley's the, Conley was the closest outlet and the best outlet for him to throw that pass. Either way, if Conley forces that ball across court, that's getting picked. Someone stepped in yeah. So I have no issue. I think it went exactly how it had to go. And Conley just missed the shot. And that's okay. You know, Conley, good good on him for coming back in this series and playing as hard as he did because he looked really, really bad early in the year with them. So the fact that he stepped up and honestly played pretty well in that series and got him up 3-1, I mean, that's, that's, not, that's not a shot that I'm upset with. I'm not upset with anything about that play. Um... The only thing I would say, though, is that if Mitchell, after he didn't get that foul call on the play, on you know, on the possession right before that, he laid on the ground. Everyone thinks that some of the photos of him laying on the ground, people think that's after the game. That was in-game after he yeah. didn't get his call on yep. his stomach. If he gets up and hustles back on defense, he's an outlet, and that's the, and, and that's obviously his shot. But he didn't hustle back. He's down the floor, and they weren't going to risk a cross-court, full-court pass from Rudy Gobert, of all people. Uh, to do that. So, yeah, I had no issue with that. Anybody who's tripping about that needs to really actually watch the play and understand what was going on. So, shout out to the shout out to the Jazz. I, I thought the Nuggets were going to run through them, and they proved me wrong on that. Yo, so, they yeah, did. They did. They they Mitchell really did. Out. Um, yeah, and I think that I think next year, I've already heard that uh, Mitchell is going to get a max contract from them uh, within the yep. next couple of weeks. Uh, they're going to ha- hammer that out. And I think that you know, if he can get another star to, to, to go there with him, you know, I mean, Gobert's great. Gobert's a great player, but if they can get another guy that can help him take the scoring load, um, they're dangerous. Bob Millsap. They have are very dangerous. They need that, like, they need a mill like, you know what Millsap was to Utah back yeah. then? They need something like that because they, Ingles was, eh, 
you know, he was okay. Royce O'Neal to me Replace is him. not a scorer. He's more of a defender. They needed Bogdanovich. That's what they really needed. Yeah, totally. You're 100 percent right. Yeah. Oh, huge. Like, if they can get they, a stretch four would be perfect for Utah, actually, because you know Donovan Mitchell can create. But it was like, and, and Rudy Gobert was he was decent offensively, but they needed they need you know, like that's why I say Paul Millsap because somebody who who can stretch the floor, who's able to shoot you know, mid-range or the three and just leave Gobert in the paint by himself. You're, Royce O'Neal. Right on, on Bogdanovich. That's, if they have him, this series probably yeah. doesn't go. Oh, yeah, of course. Being played early on. Because that's exactly yes. what they're missing. Is a guy, another guy who can hit, who isn't afraid to take a big shot. And that guy's not afraid to take big shots at all. He also can guard. He's not afraid to guard your best player. Right. In, in the series, when he was on Indiana, he was guarding LeBron yep. every yep. time. All game, and then he's coming down hitting big ass shots when he needed to. So, hey, yeah, yeah, man. So back they should be the like you said. Mm-hmm. Give they Mitchell the bag. Up. Now, before we move on to the series, I know Riley cannot wait to talk about mm-hmm. the Clippers Nuggets series is going to be decent. It's going to be pretty good. Um, you look at the Clippers, the way they stack up: Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. Hopefully, playoff P. It's different this time around. I don't know. We want PG-13. I don't want playoff P. Give me PG-13. PG-13 play rated R. Yeah, I don't want that anywhere near me, dude. That's First of all, it sounds horrible. doesn't sound cool at all. sounds very cool. I don't don't know why he would call himself that, first of all. Like, I don't know. But on the Nuggets side, right. On the Nuggets side, you have Jamal Murray. Yeah, recently returning Gary Harris. Jokic, Millsap. So... Evens out. How many games we give in this series? Man, just for safety, I always end up saying six, you know, because I assume, especially as we get deeper in the playoffs, I assume six. But the Clippers, if they can get Beverly back and he's playing, you know, his normal his normal minutes and whatnot, defensively, I mean, that's a whole different ball game compared to Utah. Utah has some decent defenders. Uh, especially, it's going to be a little different because it's going to be mostly on the wing as it was where they're going to have trouble, um, and that's where a lot of scoring came from in, in Murray and uh, even Porter Jr. at a certain point. So, and that's what it's going to be. It's going to be can Murray and Porter Jr. those young guns go up against defensively? Uh, what we saw, what we know, the Clippers have. I mean, obviously Luca did what he did, but that's Luca. Uh, that's a different a different animal as far as that's concerned. Uh, so yeah, we'll see how that goes because inside they should be able to get more. Jokic should have a much be- easier time with Harrell. Uh, Zubac will give him some problems just because Zubac is a better defender than people realize. Shout out Sean on that. Uh, he needs to get his playing time, but yeah, they will. I think it goes six, and I think it goes Clippers. Um, yeah, partly too because of the it's the same thing with the Lakers and the Blazers and whatnot, and what the Lakers have now is that no matter what, the both the LA teams have ridden. Um, some injuries in the first round, some teams that kind of fell off. They gave them trouble, then fell off, and now they're going in. Now they both have some extra rest while these other teams are playing these game sevens. So they have a they have a jump start on as far as uh, as far as energy goes and whatnot. So yeah, I think it goes six. I think it's Clippers. Ostaha, I mm. <laughs> yeah six for safety. I the issue that the Clippers have had all season is a lack of identity 
And here's what I mean by that, especially on the offensive end. You know, for example, with the Nuggets, what what they're probably going to come down and run. It's going to be some sort of, of uh, pick and roll or pick, pick and pop action that's going to involve either Jamal Murray or Jokic, or you're going to have Jokic playing point center, essentially. The Clippers, because in part um, of, first of all, uh, Paul George's injury situation throughout the season up until, you know, the stoppage and then now in the bubble. Kawhi Leonard, it was said at the top of the season, Doc Rivers said best case scenario is they want Kawhi playing 66 games during the season. So it was already going to be, uh, imagine trying to establish an offensive rhythm when your top two players are basically gone for at least a third of the season. It'll be very difficult. So the most uh, consistent aspect of their offense has been on that second unit with Harrell and uh, Lou Williams. Mm-hmm. However, like I stated at the top of this show, do not count out Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs. That first round, Kawhi quietly, because we were everyone was enamored with what was going on in that Jazz Nuggets series, Kawhi still put up some monster numbers. And the claw in the playoffs is a killer. He's the killer claw in the playoffs. Paul George, like I mentioned before, I don't need playoff P. We need PG-13 Paul George playing like he's rated R. Okay, I need you to go off. That all being said. And Lou Williams, we already know Lou Williams. He's he's a, a whole bucket. He's he's throw, throw a mop in him. He's a bucket. Yeah, Clippers man. Six, Clippers in six. One of those games. One of those two wins by the Nuggets is going to be an obligatory blowout by the Nuggets. The other one's going to be a close loss for the Clippers that we're going to look back and say everyone's probably going to point the finger at a Paul George. Other than that, those other four wins are going to be classic whatever classic clipper ball looks like these days yeah i'm hoping <clears throat> for the sake of this you know series that it goes seven but i'm agreeing with y'all i think the clippers finish them in six yeah Osan, you're definitely right about the the offensive identity I've, I've been saying that on past episodes that especially before all the everything stopped it was the yeah exactly what you said it's it's how do they how do they establish a rhythm with that first unit with Paul George not being there or being hurt Kawhi sitting slash being hurt. Um, and now in the playoffs, I mean, obviously Kawhi's adjusted. Kawhi's fine. We know what he's going to give and we know he's ready to go. Like, and it's, it is funny. He's, he's approaching that LeBron type thing as far as that vibe, as far as he's quietly putting up monster numbers, but we don't even really notice, you know, we just kind of assume we, like, we're basically just assuming he's going to do that now. And it's only weird when he doesn't do it. Um, and yeah, Paul George. I mean, if Paul George plays like Indiana Paul George, then they're a, an insanely good team because you have Lou Will, you have Harold, you have guys that can score all around them. But yeah, you he need he's a he's the second best player for a reason. He needs to be there. He needs to be putting up those numbers in the playoffs. So hopefully he can figure it out because otherwise we're looking at a really sad thing because it's starting to become consistent. And, yeah. and you can tell you know, he even admitted it was getting to him mentally a little bit, which is understandable. Nothing wrong with that, but also you know to feel that kind of pressure, but. You know, it's he's got to fight through it and play well because it's becoming a problem. But yeah, we'll see how that goes. I think I think yeah, I think we're all right that it'll go it'll go six. You definitely gonna need Paul George to step up because you're gonna need more than just Kawhi to beat the Nuggets. Definitely. You know, so now here we are. 
the moment Riley has been waiting for. The Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder. This series goes back to the trade that was made last year that netted us Russell Westbrook. In return, Chris Paul goes to the Thunder. A lot of people were ooing and aahing. I know for a fact I was happy. I'll begin the triple double machine. James Harden's one of James Harden's best friends. Then we went out and changed the team completely. Traded Clint Capella. Went small ball. A lot of people was criticizing that. I, for one, was wait and see mode. Ah, what are we doing? I don't know just yet. Some games it work, other games it don't work. Here we are in the playoffs. We didn't have Westbrook for the first, what, four games? And it was, oh, y'all going to lose? And I'm like, oh, let's just wait and see. We won the first two games. We played some beautiful basketball the first two games. Games three and four, I don't know what the hell we was doing. Especially game four. We were up 15, and we just couldn't get it done. So, I'm sorry, Westbrook played two games. This is the second game he played. So, this is, what, game six now? Well, game seven now. And game six... We played decent, but Russell Westbrook was terrible. And I am going to be brutally honest. He was terrible. Brody. He was turning up turn the ball turnover after turnover after turnover. His shots didn't look in sync. It's like he was flat. I don't know if he's still hurt. I don't know if he's rusty. I don't know what it is. James Harden, I'm calling you out too, man. You had a beautiful game. 32-7-8. You played some solid defense. The fourth quarter, though, it's like you didn't want the ball. Why you didn't want the ball in in clutch time? I don't know. And all you had to say for yourself was, well, Russ uh, attacked the basket and uh, he, he hit who he felt was open. No, 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 no. You need to take over, man. We were down, what, in the title? No, we were down one point at that point. You could have took over and won the game. I don't know what it's going to take to win this game seven, but we have to win this game seven for three reasons. Well, we could lose because Mike D'Antonio be gone, so I'll be happy either way. No, 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 no. I am, dude, I am so tired of you saying that. So tired of you saying that. <laughs> Call him on the carpet. Look, man, I'm ready. Imagine, imagine not having a franchise. I, I don't know who we're talking about. No. Imagine oh, not having goes. a franchise. Here And you're in a game seven against a dude who is going out of his way to try to punk you for trading him with a bunch of young kids and a, New, and a huge New Zealander. And you're telling me that you like first option when you mention this is, oh man, yeah, I mean, yeah, Dan Tony's gone. If we lose, go win the championship. Hey, right. I would love to win the championship. Trust me, but it's gonna be hard when we're only playing seven guys, eight guys. But you're in game seven right now. Oh, I know. You win. I want to trust me. I want to win. Just happened or gone at least for now. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I need to see you believe you're, in your team, man, because I right. wish I wish I had that luxury. This is how I see it playing out, and I'm going to turn it to Oklahoma next. I think Harden has a big game. I think Russ has a decent game, maybe 27 and 8. I think the one comes down to the, 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 the role players, P.J. Tucker, 
Covington, Eric Gordon, who's shooting horribly, by the way. Um, yeah. The bench as well. Jeff Green. Jeff Green has been. I can't say nothing bad about Jeff Green. But Austin Rivers, Ben McLemore. I got to step up, man. Daniel House is good, Daniel House. But in order for us to win this game, we have to. Like, you let Chris Paul, you know, he's a mid range guy. Like, take that away from him. You know, and I think honestly, we won so big game five was because Schroeder was out. So that stopped. They look lost out there. So we got to come out on fire. I'm not talking about 65 threes and then we missed 30 of them and then we keep shooting. And by, you know, by the end of the game, we really we shot 80 threes, but we only hit 15 of them. Like, nah, we, we got to inside out, you know, because we lose this game. Whew. Boy, oh boy. I mean, everybody from. Stephen A. Smith to Colin Cowherd to Skip Bayless. Riley Kenner. Everybody is is going down. And I know me, like I'm I'm I could deal with the smoke. I you know, but it's just Harden, Westbrook, all that. So we need to come out on fire. Run them out the gym. I know it's easier said than done, but it's it's possible. Like all you gotta do with is Chris Paul and SGA. Lou Dort. You leave him open, he goes what two for twelve. Do Don't do that. He's he's basically the uh, the Andre Roberson replacement. Like, exactly. I, I, hey, you know what's funny? He is though. He really is though. So that makes uh, Roberson expendable now because he's exactly what Roberson was to that team. What two three years ago? But I heard Roberson's jumper has improved. You know, yeah, all, all uh, over the past. Yeah, because he's been out two seasons. And shout out to the Thunder for taking p- care of a guy like that. Uh, given yeah. his just the tragic nature of the injuries he's endured, uh, for him to for them to yeah, really. keep him on the roster, and you know he he made his debut I think during the bubble, uh, but yeah, Dort is is identical. The only thing is Dort needs to go play for uh, he needs to go play for the Seahawks or something. That dude is built like a linebacker. Like he, <laughs> I, I didn't realize this. I didn't realize he was only like six three. He's not even that yeah. Tall. He's the Seahawks man. Why he can't he, play for the run. Oh, because he wants to win is why he's going to see. Oh, oh damn, right. No, I didn't say I didn't say my Vikings because we already locked up on defense. But yeah, he's he's that's a big boy. He he needs to go find an NFL team. Yeah. If his jumper doesn't improve, go find an NFL team. Uh, the way the world is, I'm sure somebody will pick you up. I mean, never mind. I'm not even gonna throw any names out there. What a, what a storyline! What a storyline! Think about it. it. Like you alluded to earlier, uh, Pierre, the trade that went down in the off season. I was rooting the entire season for this to be the first a first round matchup, and here yeah, we are. Met. Yeah, and we get it, and we get a game seven. Come on, man! And the way the game six went, listen, I have had a lot of slander in regards to Chris Paul over his career. Same, same. A lot of slander. What he showed me this season, I recant some of that slander. This is this is my informal apology to one Christopher Paul. I still think you're a dirty player with some of your antics. However, what you showed. And taking a young team, a team that everyone expected to tank and be a lottery team, and you took them to the fifth seed, man, You, my hat's off to you. You took a guy like uh, Sean Lowry's son, SGA, and not that the kid didn't have game, but you have shown him the ropes. And essentially, the, the Thunder have run a, their, their, we won't call it their death lineup, but their closing lineup is a three-guard lineup, and they've been efficient. Dennis Schrader, 
uh, a perennial six-man type of guy. But when you throw him in with that three-guard lineup, they play seamless and efficient. And Chris Paul put that team on his back in the fourth quarter of game six and and took him to, 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 the, uh, to the house. However, when I look at the numbers that the Rockets put up in game six, Russell Westbrook, seven turnovers, including the a crucial one at the end mm-hmm. of the game on the final on their final possession. Yep. Uh James Harden had five, not too bad. The ball should have been in James Harden's hands, though, to end the game. I fun fact I read today. Someone threw this in, in, in the group. The Rockets have lost their last seven playoff games officiated by Scott Foster, while Chris Paul teams have lost nine straight Scott Foster playoff games. 16 straight playoff games officiated by Scott Foster have negatively affected players and teams involved in this game seven. What we are going to see today is what we have seen with all of 2020. Things that make you say, what the heck? That's what we're going to see tonight. Oh, what the heck? I, I believe Scott Foster might have one of the best officiated games of his career um, coming up tonight in game seven. All in all, though, I have my money on. Dun, 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 dun. I have it on the Rockets. I, I have it on the Rockets. I'll be honest. I think James Harden is going to go bananas. And I think he's going to remind us all, because one thing that we've seen throughout this season, especially in the bubble, have been the moments where players have shown up in a manner that, honestly, I think Kobe was prophetic about in things that he said in the past. And things have circulated over the past couple weeks where, in terms of scoring, Kobe had said in the past that James Harden, Jimmy Harden, is the next one up after him. And so I think we're going to see that come to fruition tonight. We watched during their 8-0 run in the bubble, the Phoenix Suns and Devin Booker make a case for, for, for Phoenix to go out and go get this man some help or you need to go free him. Hashtag free Devin Booker and send him to the Lakers. Um, <laughs> Guys have made the case. Giannis winning defensive player of the year. I know that was a challenge and a gauntlet that Kobe laid down to him. And if he wins MVP, you know, it completes the whole cycle, Right. I think James Harden does that tonight and great run by the Thunder. Great job by Billy Donovan, essentially taking Billy Donovan dug into his college coaching bag and really helped coach these young dudes with Chris Paulus, his assistant coach, you know, and take them to, to where they're at sitting here in a game seven on the cusp of facing a rested Lakers team. Because whoever comes out of this game is going to have one day's rest. Thank God it's just the bubble and they don't have to worry about travel time. But they're going to have one day's rest to battle a rested Lakers team who I hope is hungry for blood. I don't know if someone needs to inject like Mamba Venom into to LeBron or something for him to be hungry and bloodthirsty because he, he, he gets a little too soft for my liking. And that killer instinct is nowhere to be found. But all in all, like I said, I got the Rockets in this one. Pierre, Yo. I would side with you with something like that. But I got the Rockets. Shout out to the Rockets. Yes, sir. Riley, come on, man. Give it to us. Well, I mean, uh, this is this is tough because I think that as far as who I think is going to win the game, come I on, just I, go I three think, for three. I think it's true that Harden is uh, is going to have to go off. Westbrook in that game six, I've never seen him look so rattled. Uh, yeah. Usually he has the same expression. It's angry. It's it's 100% fierce. He's ready to go. 
he was admitting when he was turning the ball over he's going my bad my bad like and you could see it on his face he looked rattled at every point in that fourth quarter when he took that 15 footer uh, he when he aired that like i was joking about that but that was really weird to see because that wasn't that contested like he had pulled up he was pretty open to shoot it and just left it that short like i don't care how rusty you think you are like that is you're an nba player like you're you're one of the best in the world i don't know how you i don't know how that happens i don't know what was going on with him if he if he you know has a bounce back game if him and harden both go off then i think that they win um but also cp3 is one of those guys where he is more hungry than they are to advance in the playoffs he understands this could be one of his last hurrahs he knows and and he wants to win that ring. He wants it. He wants it more than anybody on either roster for sure. So I think it's going to come down to yeah, basically who wants it more. Um, I definitely. Here's what I'll say, Pierre. Here's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. I will pick the Rockets to win Game Seven. If the Rockets, if they do win Game Seven, that from that point forward in these playoffs, you all I hear from you is yeah, we're about to win this. Like we're about to win these games. I need, to, I need to see that renewed confidence of of not like, oh, we might we might do this. I want to know that you are going full out because you know, you know, the you know, with the, the if they win, they're playing the Lakers. What do you think Matt's gonna do? Hmm? He wants some swagger from you, Pierre. He yes, said he I, wants he wants playoff P. And if that <laughs> happens, I will get on if they win, I will that's exactly that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. I need playoff P to come out and I will hop on the Rockets bandwagon if they win. And I'll get hyped with you, and uh, and we'll see if they can do it. As much as I really don't want to do that, and you know I don't want to do that, I will do that because I need to see you get hyped for your squad because they have a real chance to do this. And they will honestly match up way better um, with the Lakers as just as far as the veterans that they have to go at them. At that point, it's a veteran veteran series. Um, I do think that the I do think that the Thunder with their young athletic kids plus a big body like Adams, I think that they could give a lot of a lot of uh, issues to the Lakers, but. Um, Honestly, yeah, I, th- I think the Rockets. If Westbrook plays well, assuming we're both, we're all assuming Harden plays well. If Westbrook also plays really well, then I think that they take it. I don't know how they don't if both those guys are going off. Um, but if not, if so, if one of those guys falters, then OKC could easily take this because CP3 is coming for throats, and also Schroeder's coming for throats. That guy is a dog, uh, and I get why people. You you know people hate playing that guy. That, like they just hate him in general, but they also hate playing him because he's getting under everybody's skin. He's he's talking like you can see you can see how he looks at people. You know what I mean? You can see how he's looking at everybody. Like you can just tell he's just thinking of ways to mess with you. And uh, yeah, plus throw SGA in there, and that's yeah that three guard lineup is deadly. So yeah, I will say I will say Rockets because I I want to see uh, I want to see a Lakers Rockets uh, series for our podcast sake. Okay. You know, I appreciate that, Ryan. Do I get that promise, Pierre? Do I see yeah, playoff? You yeah, you got it. You got it. If we win tonight, if we win tonight, it's on. Oh, it's on yeah. Say that again. If we win You're tonight, it's on. Yeah, I'm a witness to this. L- listen, I-, I can't wait to hear Pierre talking about we playing the Lakers. Lakers who? Ron who? Okay. I-, I-, I beating his chest on the pod. Like, we need to hear you beat your chest so hard. <laughs> The, 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 the listeners can hear your, your chest bone breaking, you know? I, say, I, I need to see interference on the mic. Where we're, hey, man, is that like, what was the interference? And it's like, oh, that's me, that's me bumping my chest up against the microphone. So the yeah. Microphone, you can hear my heartbat for my team right now. Yeah. D'Antoni or not, I need y'all to go off. Tony or not, man. Nice. So I'm psyched. I'm psyched. Because like I said, honestly, too, like I, I, even if I want OKC to win, I do want to see the Rockets and Lakers series just for the sake of it. 
because i think that would be so interesting to watch um yeah man either way man i'm just i just want this game seven to be good chances are too i won't even be able to watch part of it i'm gonna watch on my phone or something <laughs> oh time out though let me throw this this i'm gonna throw this out there not a bold prediction type thing by any means but keep an eye out for eric gordon tonight to be an x factor for the rockets yes he better be he'll, he'll get the shots he'll get open shots he will get open shots watch out for him to hit if he hits tonight game over yeah that's he fair better. that's really fair yeah Covington too. If Covington hits like three or four, oh three, yeah, Rocco. Yeah, if he goes three, off too. If one of the, if one of the supporting guys, if Westbrook and Harden do their thing, and one of the supporting guys hits four or five threes like they can, then they're good. Night, like night. that's funny with the Rockets. That's how easy it is for them if they want it to be. Oh, definitely. I can't wait, man. You know the game tips off later on today, but first and foremost, we'll have the Heat Bucks. So you got your promise, Riley. You got your promise. Thank you. I will be tuning into the game. Might have a little liquor courage just in case a, a lose happens and I have to, you know, still go off. I'm going off either. You better get that talk out now. Because if you win. <laughs> Definitely, man. But as always, any questions, comments, concerns, hit us up. Fullcourtpress82 at gmail.com. As well as on Facebook, the SSAW group is blowing up. Also, is it later on today, Osa, or is it tomorrow, the Osa and Abe show? That's later today. So, uh, I mean, by the time y'all hear this, you can catch the replay on Spotify, Definitely. Apple Podcast, or YouTube. Some yep, litty content. And also Abe's going to be on there. Abe's going to be on there with half of a – he's going to be on there with a broom, like, you know, a little thing, a piece from a broom. Yeah. Halfway, he, halfway, 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 I, I don't want to hear it. Riley, enjoy your trip, sir. Yep. Mac, get back soon. And I won't be here next week. So I don't know if Osahan will be filling in for me. I'm, I might have to come back. I might have to come back. But I still will give my thoughts whether you win or lose. So thank y'all for listening. Later. Later.